5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hola, I am Professor Jorge Leal, historian at the University of California, Riverside. And this is a very special episode of The Discursive Power of Rock en Español. In this episode, we feature a very special and also timely conversation with Los Abandoned. So who are Los Abandoned? Well, they were the Buque de Insignia, the flag bearer band that encompassed not just Rocangelino, but the multi-ethnic Los Angeles of that very first decade of the 21st century. As a band, Los Abandoned were always very interested in creating their own unique and captivating visual and sonic identity. Their Broken Heart logo encapsulates the band's name and lyrics, yet also leaves plenty of space for interpretations. Heartbroken due to love, feeling abandoned as a result of being an immigrant, dejected for being second generation, ni de aquí ni de allá, always struggling to fit in. This and many more meanings can be ascribed to the Los Abandoned logo, and by extension, their Spanglish lyrics, and their very catchy sound. Well, this fall 2023, Los Abandoned are back with a new single and also a one-off reunion show. Así que, I had to get them on record to talk about El Presente de Los Abandoned, the history of Los Abandoned, how this intersects with LA history, musical history, and also lived social history. Plus, I definitely want to hear about their crazy stories as the LA band of the 2000s. So here's our chat with Los Abandoned. Where do you want me to start? Why don't we start with the Yosho, the introductions? <laughs> Hola, I'm Lady P from Los Abandoned. Hey, this is Don Verde. Hello, I am Viralata. I play the bass. Thank you so much for, again, taking the time uh, <clears throat> for this conversation today. So I want to start with the pre in the present and also in the near future, meaning in a few days from today. Los Abandoned are having a reunion concert this fall, 2023. So what brings you back together? Lots of things. Um, well, originally we were asked to do this reunion show back in June, 2020. And since it didn't happen, obviously, for the because of the pandemic, this is our makeup uh, reunion concert. So we wanted to make sure, you know, we felt like we, we had a debt to the fans and um, we wanted to make sure that now that it was available to us to do it. Um, so it's happening. And um, it's yeah, happening. we've been writing a lot of music as well um, together. And uh, we've been wanting to play it live and show, show the fans what we've been up to. Yeah, so, and it was funny, it brought us together originally, like this, there's a bunch of strange stars aligned and it felt mm -hmm. like it was like it was supposed to happen. And there was, you know, that we had this LA Times article where like Van Nuys was one of the 50 or whatever best songs about Los Angeles. And and then we had the, we did that, the shoot for the the show we that we were talking about before we started taping, the Great Great Day in East LA, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that, and then and then someone called us about a show didn't end up happening. But it, all those things put us in the same room over and over again over about a month after many years of that not happening. And so it's like it seemed like the stars aligned. And then the pandemic happened, and then we wasn't sure if maybe they were trying to tell us something. But regardless, <laughs> we got the message. We're back, and and we're really you know we're excited to play <laughs> while we were isolated from one another. You know, um, Lady P was was in 
in Santiago for a couple few years, um, unable mm -hmm. to turn to Van Nuys, you know, that uh, we did write a bunch of songs over Zoom and, and we'll, you know, we'll be playing a couple of them at the, at the, at this concert that we're doing. Yeah. And also I think parallel to um, all these events, uh, the, you know, we, we became like pieces in a museum. And so people <laughs> like yourself, uh, Jorge and, and others started displaying us as part of their academic curriculum. Um, as you know, like experience uh, the the music of the Americas uh, in the U.S. and uh, you know mm -hmm. Alexander Hernandez being one of those professors to uh, uh, Jesse Vallejo and Cal Poly Pomona, and so yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's almost like a like a synergy that started happening when all these events started to inter intersect. And I definitely want to ask you about those new songs and you're you know like you're close to uh, releasing a, one one such new song so just can you just tell us a little bit about the the new song that you'll be um releasing on november 17th the the new song is called uh favorite band it's a brand new song i think we wrote it in in 2003 people who were around then might recall that we went through a lot of lineup changes in the first couple of years of the band and it was It was all drummers. We, we went through more drummers than Spinal Tap. And during one of those periods when when our, our drummer Garrett Ray, who at the time was known as Gringo Star, I don't know if that's why he quit, but he uh, <laughs> and, and we were all feeling super sad. And, and Lady P had the idea to write this song, Why Can't My Favorite Band Stay Together? But instead of doing it about ourselves, it was like from the perspective of a fan. And so we wrote this song and we played it live a couple times, right? But yeah. Never got recorded. It was kind of a like a, you know, like a like a sleeper fan favorite. And so when we were contemplating, you know, the reunion, we thought that we had this demo recording that was done back then. And some of the tracks we were able to get off of the old hard drive onto the new one. And a lot of it we couldn't. So we, we got some some old sounds and we played on top of it all, all new performances. And um, and it ended up being kind of like a like a like a little um, a mix of baby Los Abandoned and grown up Los Abandoned, you know. Like, so now, <laughs> the now and then, uh, yeah. the now and then from the Beatles, but with Los Abandoned. <laughs> and obviously, like the irony is not lost on us that it's a song about why can't my favorite band stay together, and it's about you know, and that yeah, we broke up. So hi, we're back. <laughs> you know, one thing that I've been thinking about, uh, and as uh, Viralata says, you know, like there's a group of us as academics, also Ch uh, Channel Lorenz at Occidental College, that that um, looks at your work, right? So the intergenerational part is that new fans, uh, yeah. students that are 18, 19, that were not even born at the time Los Abandon got started, and that. <laughs> For me, it makes me feel super old, right? Um, I mean, because you were like 15 when you started. I mean, I was older. Uh, yeah. So, uh, for, yeah, but for all of them, this is new. And I want right. us to think about, take us to that starting. So, if we get, uh, let's take it back to the beginning of the Los Abandon. You know, like we, we'll do that, you know, like um, effect, like, doo -doo 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 -doo, where we go back to the past. So, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, Exactly. <laughs> what's and as as we go back to the past, what's the, yeah. share with us the Los Abandon origin origin story? Um, how did the yeah. band started? And also, if you can tell us about that LA scene uh, at mm -hmm. the time. 
Yeah, I mean, at, at the, the beginning of Los Abandon was uh, because both Don Verde and I found ourselves without a band. And so we were pretty heartbroken about that and decided, well, you know, both of our bands were just as, you know, wild and um, uh, different and uh, genre bending, <laughs> bilingual Spanglish. And, um, and so we were like, well, we kind of are coming from the same world wanting to do the same thing. So we decided to get over the breakups of those bands together. And pretty much the first year we would just meet up and write demos and develop the, the idea of this band. And um, at that time, um, it was it wasn't uh, as you know as seen or accepted to be a band that played not only in Spanish but also in English and Spanglish, right? So um, against all odds, we just decided, well, we're gonna do this anyway because if we are feeling like this is what we want to do and this is our world and what we are surrounded by we i you know we were like we're not we know we're not the only ones you know that mm -hmm. um we knew that there was an audience out there it took us a while to find it but once we found it it was you know it was um it was very uh rewarding um but we did have to go through these moments of like uh, wanting to book our band to play a show and it was like well no we only have bands that play in Spanish not English and then there were the other it was the, then it was the other side where it was like well you guys also do Spanish where do we fit you in and then including when we were you know shopping our music around uh, we, what we heard consistently was like well you have to choose between English or Spanish not both. So, you know, it took us, it took us a, a, a while to not just find the audience, but also to find that support to accept us, you know, for what we did. Yeah. And also I think, uh, back then we, we had a, a big, you know, not, not a big influx, but there were the, the rock and Espanol scene was primarily an immigrant, uh, experience. And, you know, I said, Right. Myself will fit in perfectly in there, and I remember the time the Chicano bands were Same. the Chicano bands, and the rock and Espanol bands were the rock and Espanol bands. And you know, I, I remember being called a paisa by one of them, and I really didn't know what that meant. And I was like, Ah, oh, well, yeah, yo soy tu paisano, yeah, but I know it was a derogative term. And you know, I had I had my handful of incidents with with the other scene that I later I realized what they were. So when we started. Um, you know, it was it was a labor uh, of love, and it was a mission to actually play enough so we can build an mm -hmm. audience. And our yeah. manager, Amy B, just basically said, "I'm not interested in, in micromanaging you. You go find places to play and play three times a week at least, and then you come back and see me." So at that time, we had already had, um, um, you know, a. a an EP, which was a uh, demo tape. And we really went on that. Uh, and then at the time when we were, 
we started working with Amy B. That was our second EP. Um, and so things started to move a little bit a little bit faster. Also, there were a lot of outlets back then. Um, you know, LA TV and Al Borde and, and all these other all these other uh, publications that, that made the music uh, reach an audience. So um, thanks to LA TV, actually, we um, we had a, a big, a bigger audience, you know, and it started mm -hmm. building from there. And yeah, the scene, the scene back then, I think it had, I was a staff writer for Al Borde and I remember, you know, we, we would get all these demos from all these people and, and we probably had counted about 250 local bands. They were ex exclusively rock and español. So yeah, that was that was kind of like, and, and we actually mm -hmm. did meet me and, and and Pilar met because I did a review of her record uh, with Pescadores Pecadores, uh, and then I met David because we were both in the scene. He would play with Lita Flores, and at the time I was in a band called Bayou, which was kind of like a multi-culto uh, band. And so we we will you know meet each other, and and you know then he will be playing mm -hmm. with. Tijuana Bibles, and it was a very promiscuous uh, scene. Hence the, you know, the the pseudonyms. Like, part of the thing was, like, you know, you could go out some nights and, like, Viralata or, or me or whoever would be playing in all four bands, you yes. know? <laughs> like, there's something kind of cool about that, that there was this incestuous scene. But at the same time, when we started this uh, Losa band, and we kind of wanted to get a fresh start, and we wanted to just, like, not... It's like, yeah, we're not that guy that you saw, you know, what's the place on West Adam? Fado Do. Fado Do. Fado Do playing like all four sets, you know, like, like, like a new thing. And we just wanted to kind of like a, like a clean start and just to like, like kind of like start over with, with music, you know, and, and yeah. the, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was trying to, I was remembering like how as the token uh, non-Latino, like how this all <laughs> happened for me. And I remember specifically, um, like I had this artsy trio in high school and we, the only song we had that had lyrics, it was in Spanish. And so just through a crazy series of coincidences, we ended up just, you know, we got booked in this place called The Raven, which is right in uh, North Hollywood, which is still there, but now it has like a nice sign. Um, and next door to that was the original smell, right? You know, the, the one in North Hollywood. And we had this scene there where high school kids, we'd rent out the place for like 250 mm -hmm. bucks a night. And then we'd charge five at the door and everyone can go to Denny's after or whatever. But like, you know, we play these shows and so all the other band, like we had our, we were playing insane, crazy improvisational music with a lot of sense of humor with one song in Spanish and all the other bands would be like rock and Espanol bands. And, you know, they're like, oh, do you guys like music in Spanish? Like, yeah, yeah. I love listening to that show, Travel Tips for Aslan. They're like, oh, yeah, I work on that show. And so right away we were on, you know, with Mark Torres, who was like just such a for me, like all of that was like my education, you know. And and, you know, I remember like like when I first heard um, uh, Chilanga Banda in high school, it like broke my brain. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And then just kind of actually <laughs> fell into it. And so by the time, you know, as everyone's saying, like by the time <laughs> scene, and then there was like the Dorokan Espanol scene and they like, they totally like came together. You know, it's yeah. not like they were, they were separate, you know, but, but there, it was like, maybe there were some cultural differences. And I feel like one of the cool things that was happening, you know, I don't want to say that we did it. We just happened to be there, but it was, <laughs> it was scene that was more like second generation linguistically but more importantly like culturally bilingual people yeah. all them kids mm -hmm. they're probably all 40 now but you know what i mean like in my <laughs> mind it was like this new generation and you know and and i feel like we really found our home at the echo mm -hmm. in echo park when we started doing residencies there 
And I feel like geographically and in every which way, it all made sense. We would play with bands of every kind you could imagine because I think we just decided, and, and then those those fans didn't have rules about how to, what marketing, they did, there was no one marketing to them. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. There was no genre, there was no nothing. We just came and it was great music. And, and interestingly, you know, we are, I should say, like an overly educated band. And, you know, I was I went to UCLA and I took a ton of like Chicano studies, Latin American music classes, like the 90s iteration of what we're talking about here. And so it's it's very gratifying to be, you know, in the in the mm. curriculum now, yeah. like we look mm. at the previous generation so much. And it's it's just, it's unbelievably mm. gratifying. I, I can't I can't say enough. But, you know, but to, to be there in the scene and, and in retrospect, when I think about all the things that are, you know, front page news with, you know, identity, specifically gender, sexuality, all this stuff, the, our introduction to all of that happened in the early 2000s, playing at the Echo, meeting all these kids that were basically the scene. And right. they didn't accept binaries. They didn't accept any rules. They weren't like activists even about it. They just didn't. It just seemed very natural. They're like, this is this. I'm just me. I'm just doing me. Right. So it's interesting. Like, I, I remember we talked about it back then. Like, this is the future. Like yep. these people that yep. we're playing to that are, you know, that we're like privileged to be around. They're mm -hmm. doing the next thing. And and, and yep. obviously that's true. You know, like that was the future. No labels, no like no binaries, no none of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to give a shout out to Liz Garrow. If it wasn't for Liz Garrow giving us a chance to play at the Echo, I remember because I used to live in that area and I remember seeing how that was just opening up and I just asked her. I was in the neighborhood. I said, this is our band. We we do the Spanglish thing. We do the spy uh, cultural thing. And she was like, oh, yeah. Like she, yeah. and so she, it was amazing because she was one of the few people that allowed us to be ourselves and to just do, she, she was an incredible in that way. I remember just being like, Hey, can we do our next show? Like a prom? She was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, she would just, she would allow us cause she trusted us. She trusted our audience. She was, I feel also Liz Garrow, she is also a visionary. And I think, you know, that's why I feel like the Echo has gotten to the heights it, it has because of her. Um, and for her to allow us as artists and, you know, creatives to do what it is we wanted to do. And we had, she uh, gave us the space to do it in. So ages. And I remember yeah. me and, and Verde where we went to eat pizza, I think. Well, the, the after sound check and all that. And when we're coming back, and you know, we always believe in the, the positive power of negative thinking. And you yeah. know, we thought that, that there was not going to be a successful night. We really didn't know. And as we were coming up the stairs on, on Sunset, to cross, you know, Sunset Boulevard, and go to the Echo, we saw this interminable line of, uh, of people that were dressed up for prom. And mm -hmm. it was so gratifying. You know, that it's like, this when you really realize that you're not only connecting with an audience, but you're building community. Yeah. And it was, right. it was adorable. And it's like, it was all kids that were second, third generation Latinos, you know? And with that, I, I, I do have to, uh, you know, like, you're, you might be selling it short, but, you know, like, point out, acknowledge how you created those bridges between those generations, 
those music scenes and also the geography of Los Angeles. That you know, yes, it was the echo, more of a central place, you know, like in a in a neighborhood that was changing, gentrifying, if you want to call it. But at the same time, you were bringing uh, kids from the valley, bringing kids yes. from the east side, um, you know, like east side as East LA, yeah, Boyle Orange Heights, County, Orange County as well, yeah. the Southeast LA. So it, it, you were creating those bridges, and I think that there was some sense of panico but you know like in a positive <laughs> panic oh so i i, I just, um and here i just want you know like this i think a really good time for us to listen to this song panico uh okay. and then we'll come back and continue our conversation with los abandoned so this is panico And we're back with Los Abandoned. So we're talking about not only the beginnings, but also their, um, their trajectory as a band. So in 2006, um, your album, Mixtape, actually it comes out. And it is quite a feat for the LA scene. And here I'm not talking about rock and español or the indie scene. It's just a major feat for the LA scene. It's on Vapor Records, mm-hmm. which is a label founded by Neil Young. Um, I had signed numerous of uh, uh, acts and releasing so many important albums and now you're part of that discography so tell us about that time what were some of the most memorable but also frankly like the crazy moments of from one a couple of years being an indie band playing gigging around LA um, mm-hmm. and singing your very memorable Spanish songs to being part of a major label part of the music 
uh, not only the U.S. mainstream music scene, but the Americas. Uh, mm. And here we can think mm. of the uh, right. your uh, performance at the um, Vive Latino as well. But tell us about those uh, kind of memorable and also crazy moments of that time. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think everything just got amplified. So it was like we were still kind of doing things, you know, on our own and just because it's hard to kind of let go of that punk rock ethos of like do it yourself. And also we just, everything we've had done so up to then was very intentional and had purpose. And uh, we always wanted to be an experience for the viewer, the audience, uh, the person that was listening to their music. So everything just, I feel like it was like twice as much, you know, like uh, effort and craziness and But I think one of one of the most like the coolest stuff was feeling like all of our hard work and effort for the, you know those last like five or so years had it, it felt like it had paid off in terms of like somebody accepting us like Vapor Records accepting us for who we were not wanting to change us you know just letting us uh, be ourselves do it do what it is we did you know we do and having the opportunities to uh, go to do vive latino and open up for a bigger act probably the height of that experience during that time was getting to new york city and doing conan o'brien that to me was like okay all of that work had paid off like we did it like <laughs> conan o'brien said our name <laughs> you know And I remember even after we played the song, because we played Van Nuys, I remember, you know, Conan comes up to the band and shakes their hand. And, you know, he says, all right, you know, we'll be back after these commercials. Remember him saying to me the first thing he said, said, it is so cool to see a band with so much energy. Usually bands want to just look cool. He's like, you guys don't care. You guys are, he loved how energetic we were and how, You know, uh, and then I remember him also knowing I was from Chile. I was like, oh, he did his homework. All right, Conan, good. <laughs> and so one of the things that was kind of funny with Vapor was, you know, like they're obviously a different world. And if you think about it, at that time, mm -hmm. Tim and Sarah was on the label. Jonathan Richmond mm -hmm. was on the label, just to name a couple. And so it was a very eclectic a lot of talent and a lot of vision you know we're dealing with like industry luminaries like elliot roberts who like ran the label and you know he was you know neil young and at some point Joni Man mitchell's manager and he worked with devo and you know kind of everyone in the in the music business and you could just pick up any of those music industry books and there'd be just pages and pages about the people that mm -hmm. we're now with we were like a little on the fence because at that time the record industry was was rapidly disintegrating. You know, we'd had those mergers a few years earlier. And so deals weren't what they had once been where, oh yeah, you can just like live for a few years. It was definitely, we were still working yeah. our butts <laughs> off. And, um, and, and you know, when they came up this deal, we're like, oh, I don't know. They just, shouldn't there be more money? And so one of the <laughs> things I always think about is we were on the road and they invited us to play uh, like an opening act set at the Bridge School Benefit. Mm. And that year, you know, it's this all acoustic thing they do every year. And it was Neil Young and Tony Bennett and Paul McCartney and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Sonic Youth. 
Los Lonely Boys, Tegan and Sarah. I'm sure I'm forgetting like some huge act, you know? And, and so we did that experience. We got to meet all of those people. And then I think we did kind of broke, we signed the next day probably. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where do I sign my life? Yeah, yeah. it was just like, oh my God, I just shook hands with Paul McCartney and we talked about like homeopathic wow. medicine and like, okay, I guess we're here. That was that was a huge that was a huge day. I I, I still yeah. think about it all the time. Being on stage, like the, everyone that was there, there's no press, there's no no media, no press. So like everyone just wanders around freely, and everyone that was there was basically on stage when Paul McCartney was playing his set. And at some point, they're starting "Let It Be" or or "Hey Jude" or one of those like piano tunes. And it was like while on stage, I realized I was like I was like I always like that part that Ringo played on that Beatles song that I've heard my whole, oh my God, this is happening right now. And And I looked around and everybody was crying. The whole stage was just like bawling. It was just such a huge, huge moment, you know? And it it felt, it, it was, it was really, really, we got to have a few of those experiences too, of just like, you know, getting to like meet your your heroes and, you know, like a huge part of what we did, like a huge part of what our, our career ended up being was being like the opening act for every mm-hmm. band from Latin America that would come to the States. This was a huge part of what we did. And this is how we found a lot of our audience initially and sort of it became our thing. We, we would toured with Capeta Cuba, Tercio Pelados, Julieta Venegas, Molotov, who am I forgetting? Anyone you can think of. We didn't. We never played with Mana, and we we could almost just say we didn't play with. We never played with Mana, or uh, <laughs> but we did have a, an offer for to do a festival with L3 one time. Didn't happen. Yeah, but it was like, that was what we did. We, got, we were just hanging with our heroes. We got to like wander around Vegas all night with um, Robin from uh, from Capicuba, which was like was our fun. hero. Like this is like the reason mm-hmm. I'm even in this music and. Um, and and spend seven hours just being normal people, just talking about crazy stuff and just wandering around. So there was a lot of that, like you know, rock and roll eat, fantasy stuff too. Eat, eating deep fried Oreos with Ruben in downtown Vegas was definitely exactly. something magical. Yeah. To me, I you know, in retrospect, I think the way that that vapor uh, thing happened is because Elliot uh, Elliot Roberts and Neil Young. Well, Neil Young was rehearsing in Studio A in LA TV. And at the same time, they used to have LATV Live. Kinky was playing. And so the story tells that uh, Neil Young was in the dressing room and he was looking at the screen and he could hear the music. And it's like, this is in Spanish. That's how the interest from Vapor Records uh, came to life. And so secretly, Vapor Records came to our showcases. We did a residency at the Echo where like, I think it was every Monday or something like that. We played pretty much every single song that we have ever worked on. And they came and they, they were at other shows. And finally, one day they, they came to our merch table and said, uh, yeah, you know, we are with uh, Bonnie, who's an adorable woman. Uh, she came mm-hmm. up to me and said, you know, oh, assistant. Uh, we're thinking about, you know, we're really interested in you guys. I think one of the most memorable, awkward moments is when we toured for the first time with, with Molotov. And I remember the furthest we were from LA, actually this is my concept with Mexican with Mexican food too. The further you are from LA, the better the Mexican food gets. But anyway, <laughs> as we were uh, approaching Los Angeles, you could start see, seeing the, the sea of middle finger that will come in the <laughs> audience. And there was such oh, an yeah. animosity. It's, it was, the animosity was 
so large, you know, that they really didn't want us there. I think the year later, so I did the same tour and they actually decided not to play when we went to the same place in, uh, in uh, Scottsdale. They were like, oh no. That's a, I always said the meanest audience I ever played to in my life. <laughs> it was wonderful. You know, we, we have, we it's have true. Video. We had a, we had a lot of, I remember also like for me, those experiences were also like as being the only, you know, woman in the group. Uh, and all of a sudden there's all these men giving you the middle finger and you're about yeah. to sing a song, like, you know, a song about electricidad and love. And, you know, and I'm just like, I was like, okay, how am I gonna, I remember, you know, looking at the guys and like, just how am I going to approach this? And I was just like, okay, we're going to give him the middle finger back. Through our attitude. Yeah. Through our attitude, through our, through our uh through the music and just also because we had already been working our ass off for so many years we had played in front of so many different kinds of audiences like audiences that wouldn't look at us or audiences that weren't there <laughs> it was only the sound guy there you know so we had already played so many different kinds of to so many different kinds of audiences it was just like we're just gonna do what we do best and like just rock their world and like i want to say by the time we were done they were like a, at least a, a little bit more warm to the idea of who we were <laughs> yeah yeah we, I, I do have videos one of my, my, my memorable times is there's this guy particularly who was actually mimicking lady p yeah and he's playing the cowbell and he's going like this <laughs> And he, you know, he shows the middle finger, and then because this is audio, so I gotta be descriptive. And then he shows his ticket. He's pointing at his ticket, and he's going like this, like you know, up and down. This is this is who I came to see, not you. Uh, and, and you know, it was we are playing stalk you, and this is the the biggest revenge. You know, yeah. Verde is playing his solo, and he comes up to him, and he's kind of like maybe five feet away. From, you know, this is beautiful wall of bouncers who, you know, they're safe. And he basically just comes and starts like tapping on and she goes to the front and gives him the middle finger in the middle of the solo. That to me, it was, is so memorable because in the end, you know, it was kind of like a, like a, like a Sunday morning gospel thing. You know, you have to convert people. Mixtape was such an experience that it was like, it was kind of like going to grad school, you know, and making a record they took. You know, I remember the label would come to uh, to the sessions and be like, "What you like? Are you guys is, is the record ready?" Like a month later, and we're like, uh, "No." And then like a month later, they will come back and say, "Is the record re ready?" And we're like, "No, not really." It was like Neil Young already put out three records. Like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and I, you know, I remember like we just really like were there for uh, for as much as we could. And in the middle of all that, we actually did tour with Molotov again. So we were coming back and forth. And the, uh, we making... had done a we had done a tour with Sakuba. Uh, and then yeah. the making of that record, I remember. You know, it was so I didn't listen to it for until we had to do that reunion show in 2013. I think it was 11. Uh, and I was really blown away by how all those songs uh, were crafted, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I think. We're really thankful for the invitation that P and Verde made to me to be part of this wonderful project. Hi, Charlie. I thought we could talk about music or maybe art. Baby, baby, how is that to know that I would become one of those people that you read about? 
Speaking of these experiences as uh, being a female-fronted band, I think that uh, Los Abandon was very transgressive in a lot of ways. One, you know, having a, such a strong presence, defiant presence on stage by Lady P, but all of you being part of the, also not conforming to like those gender roles, like the rock star, you know, with leather. I mean, like that we had seen throughout the scenes, uh, uh, <laughs> still to of the 2000s, right? Look, are the performance of uber masculinity that we will talk, right? But mm-hmm. I think that Los Abandon were not only um, transgressive and non-conformist in, you know, like in who was your uh, um, front person, but also the the, um, the iconography of the band, mm. uh, in, uh, like the um, the albums, the, uh, the, the mer- yeah, the art, the merchandise, uh, these <laughs> special events of the proms, right? Like uh, that in a way predate like the gender non-conforming or the queer proms mm. that then we start seeing in, in the later 2000s. And then you also inspire people like Julio Salgado, such a important mm. queer artist uh, that got his start, if I'm not mistaken, you know, selling your merch and yeah. then creating yeah. merch for you. So if, yep. if, if you, yeah, if you can tell me more about that, you know, what was it like for all of you to be in a um, female front band, uh, leading a front band, you know, like leading a band uh, in your case, Lady P, and also having a fan base that was queer, gender non-conforming mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I always go back to what my mother taught me. And my my mother was an educator. She was super visionary. You know, this this was like, this was in the early 80s. And she, I remember her telling me, you know, you have to be bilingual. You have to know both languages. You have to... To know both of your cultures, you know, both Chile and, and the United States, what both both of these worlds give you, the language, the, both of the languages, and then the music. I, from a very, very early age, I mean, I have photos of me playing with my mom at two years old, playing percussion with her all-girl, like, Chilean folk band, you know. Uh, from a very early stage of life, I was always told to be proud of who you are, to be a leader, to integrate both languages, to integrate all of the, you know, everything and who you are and allow that to others. So for me, it was just kind of like following these wonderful, beautiful, visionary ideas of my mother. You know, at the end of the day, if if we look at it, that's, that's really what I'm doing, you know. And then when I met Verde, I was like, oh, this is this is another person that's ex- also the same, <laughs> you know, like where I, that I can create music with and I can create these ideas with. And, uh, you know, we could 
go back and forth with and able to create this band. So I think it it all really comes down to who we all are, you know, and then we, you know, met Moises and we were like, oh yeah, we're totally bringing him in on this like crazy adventure because at the end of the day, we all had this very sort of vision and open mind about how we saw things kind of going and we, we wanted to create that in the music. And in the shows and everything, and accept everyone as they are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I feel like we kind of said something to this effect earlier, but it was we were very aware, like we weren't doing it. We were just happened to be aware. We noticed what was happening all right. around us. You know, it's just it's a beautiful thing. Like probably all of us feel this way, but speaking for myself, I've just always been interested. Like it, put it this way, like doing like more mainstream culture has never interested me in the least. I never, Hmm. never felt any draw to want to put any energy into that whatsoever. But like, like Mm -hmm. random things like touch my heart. Like I have this weird thing where like, whenever I see anything about like women's sports teams in the nineties or something like that, I get like super emotional, like from the day, you know, since from when I was, in, I remember in junior high school having a conversation with some friends and figuring out that I should really be like a girl's daddy. Like I should have a daughter. You know? So, you know, a hundred years later, now I do. And so it's not to just like repeat, repeat, repeat. Like one thing I'll say, like one of the reasons that I wanted to do this band again, when we started getting this opportunity, when it started presenting itself, that we're all together, we're all talking, oh, maybe people want us to play again. One of the big reasons for me for wanting to do it was that I wanted my daughter to see her dad doing his passion because she sees me like, you know, whatever. I have a, a cool job. I do music, but, you know, whatever. I'm like, I'm all grown, I'm tired. You know, I get up in the morning, I'm making lunch. Just, I want her to see me just being totally irrational, doing, just making art, following my passion, and I want her to do that in whatever weird way it manifests, you know, yes. to know that you don't have to, you don't have to do the thing that everyone's always saying to do. And if, and in fact, just to, to, I feel like that's like the biggest lesson for me of this band is we just never like for better, or for worse, we never really did anything that any smart person told us to do. <laughs> Instead, we just did the thing that we felt really passionate about. And we weren't like, it's not like we were like jerks about it. it like we really, really thought hard about what makes sense? Like, what are we trying to say? And then we, that's why it took us so long to do everything because we really wanted to get it right. It wasn't just, oh yeah, we're going to just put out a song. We're just going to play it. However it comes out, I don't really care. It's like, no, does this sound like, are people going to get it? Is are this lyric, is this going to be misunderstood? We wanted it to be, and 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 I think that that's, that's one of the things that's really cool about this band. And whenever people ask me, it doesn't happen that often, but if anyone asks me like for advice, it's usually like I'd say, just figure out what's you and just do that as hard as you can. And I think that's what the band was. And that was because that was what we did. You know, we weren't making bold political literal statements. Just everything we did was a statement. Do you know what I mean? So we didn't have to write an essay about it and people got it. And the fans were doing them. And I think that's what was neat about being in this. It was very liberatory to be in a, in an environment where it's like, you just do you. That was pretty, if, if you know, like if we had to like boil it down to one thing, we were doing us, they were doing them, and we were all doing each other. That that was like the best thing about that scene. Yeah. Also, I think, uh, the, I think microscopically to say that that was an essay. I think Los Abandoned <laughs> itself was an essay essay. And uh, because 
we really we really took care of the language mm. you know it's not incidental uh accidental rather it's really like meticulously like okay does this word is mus is it musical you know like alamor is a good a good attestment of mm. that and and you know like as many as many of the songs you know the the inter the in intersect the uh what do you call it the uh the intervention of 20 que pegaditas, no corridos, you know, which is a completely, an absolute uh, cultural icon. Um, and, you know, another thing, just really quick, because I feel us, before this overplayness of Selena was happened, huh. we were there. You know, mm -hmm. we actually, Lady P had the idea of bringing Selena into the mix. And at first I was like, what is, no, why? <laughs> But it really made it really made a staple for us, and you know, at that point, I really I, this is before we started touring or doing anything crazy. We all come from broken homes, and I felt like like family. You know, that's, this, I felt like this was our family, and I always like really, you know, we would take care of Pete, you know, whatever she needs, and she would take care of us. I remember like <laughs> there was a point when. You know, she would bring this Whole Foods bag, and the Whole Foods bag was always there. And in addition to the other pieces of luggage, and I was like, "Why is this? Ha! Ah, why is this Whole Foods bag in the middle of the world of the way in the van?" Oh, and she goes, she goes really quietly and says, "Why? Because I bring these things for you guys." <laughs> it was a care pack. It was a care pack where she had like all this like, energy bars, emergency, and, yeah, and you know, mm -hmm. and, and and trail trail mixes and uh, and all that stuff, and I. You know, again, I think it's, we really noticed then that Future was female. For us, for me, who I actually did have a daughter then, who's actually in, in music videos for Los Abandon. You know, again, it's like what, what, what Green was saying, you know, what Dave Verde was saying. It's like, he's seeing dad doing that thing. And I remember when she was, you know, she was going through uh, middle school. And people would say, when people say my, my daughter, my, you know, my dad is lame. And, you know, my, my dad is like, ah, boring. And I, I kind of became boring sometimes, but then some story will come up, you know, like LA Inc. And, and you know, LA Inc. That Tony went and got a big tattoo on Dulce, got a big tattoo on his chest, and all of a sudden I was cool again, you know. <laughs> so yes, it is, it is, it is. It really had made an impact on her, you know, the fact that we are who we are and we were the band that we were.
we have to talk about this song, the one song, you know, we have to, uh, which is yes, but nice, it's very nice. Uh, it, you have so many memorable songs, but this is a, a song that has made a mark in LA history. The LA Times has listed as one of the 50 songs for a new LA here in the 2020s. Um, I use it for my own classes in LA history to show the change over time. Mm. Uh, the transformation of LA, particularly those white suburbs of the San Fernando Valley into vibrant Latino neighborhoods in the 90s, 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us about this track, how it come about, how did it come about? And also the enduring legacy of the, of the song, both of the song and uh, uh, since Viralato talked a little bit about the video, the video is just as um, important and as uh, memorable as the song. So tell us about the song and also the image the images around the song yeah i mean funny i mean the song came together really fast you know like i just there was one day when i was really sick at home and i was just like just super bored watching tv and i started to see different things that were happening in the news about van eyes in the valley and you know and then i just started thinking about um, just mm, writing a song to my, like my experience as a, I am an immigrant as well, but more a child of an immigrant, but it's more my experience. Um, I came here very young. And so, um, I wanted, I had been wanting to, to write a song with that sentiment of, uh, the experience of being a child of an immigrant and asking the question of why did you leave such a beautiful place like the Andes Mountains, you know, uh, for this, you know, like for an apartment building that's five stories high, you know, full of people feeling condensed, salt cement, swimming pool, you know, swimming pool, like not real, you know, not real water, you know, so th just things like that, like, um and uh just brought the and then just brought the idea to to david and we just we wrote that really fast right do you remember it was like one I, the part that i remember the most we started reading the news story yeah. i was like wait say that again how do you think about this yeah. you know <laughs> I wrote down what she said yeah it was just like list it was almost like just yeah doing like a little list and like a little rap you know and then um and uh, I had overheard someone in my family having the, this talk about, you know, what's better to be in Chile or to be in the States, you know? And I overheard this, you know, cuando uno hace sobremesa, right? Like you, you stick around for a few hours after you have, you know, lunch and you're still talking. Um, and I had overheard uh, one of my family members say bueno, y dejaste y, de, y qué, dejaste los Andes por esto, like, you know, like dejaste tu país por esto, like um, que te van a decir que dejaste los Andes por esto you know, just kind of like just uh, talking about the idea of like, what's better you know, like, is it better to be here and you're alone and like, you're living this very, you know, urban life or, you know, are you back, not in the greatest of, um, 
you know, governments, but you have the beautiful nature and Andes mountains and your family there, you know? So that was, that's, that, that was the, you know, idea behind, behind that song. I think like, like all, you know, we, uh, P and I were talking about this the other day, you know, when we were preparing for the show, but it seems like all of the songs, they don't tell you what to think. And I don't even always know what they're about, like without not not even like I don't mean that like 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 facetiously. It's like there's certain parts of it where like it's it's just like we just said it and we like walk away, you know, and I feel like it's you can't like how do you answer a question like what's a better like between kind of two amazing and two impossible choices. Like, how do you, you, there's, that's not really how life works that, okay, we're going to make an argument for this, but I feel like that's how a lot of things are now. It drives me crazy, but like, I feel like we, we left a lot of space for you to feel how you feel about whatever it is. Cause we don't, we don't fucking know. And like, and we're just trying to like, like we're, it's almost like, like a big part of what we were doing was just reflecting reflecting our experience or projecting our experience, reflecting other people's experience, but without, without any judgment and just with like a lot of love and a lot of care. And I think that's what, when I hear that song, like it's funny, the, the original version the original demo was produced by the, by our friend Ariel and he's a Van Nuys, you know, (laughs) native. He's like, you know, I really like that song. I just don't like the part about, but it's not paradise. Like, why do you have to say that? You know? And like, it was kind of like, we, we thought it was funny, but like, but yeah, it's like, what, the song does not tell you how to feel. It just tells you the things, you know? And yeah, that's why, you know, it's that free interpretation that people take from it, that, you know, you embrace it and you make it your own, you know? It's like, yeah, I do live in Van Nuys, and it's, uh, I mean, it's it's great, and some people will say it's terrible. And, yeah, I, I, along with that, the video really goes, takes you through that, you know? There's that little, there's a little image where, like, uh, there's a stroller being pushed, and the dad is wearing a hat, and the and the toddler is wearing a cowboy hat as well, and I think it's it's just lovely. You know, we mm-hmm. it, it was it was such an experience. You know, my mom is in there saying, you know, smoking a cigarette, saying "y dejaste tu país por esto." You know, it's it's such a it's such. A, my daughter's jumping on the on the on the kiddie pool, and um, even though you know we we live adjacent to uh, Van Nuys, um, but yes, I think it's it's uh, it's a very good description you know it's such a narrating in a, in a beautiful way because all these places you know valero and valero street and all these places really do exist you know and we shot the video at high school uh i mean uh high junior. junior high yeah uh, and that was another great experience yeah shooting uh, shooting that the video yeah it was uh my friend elder and ali they're a couple and they were people i met when i went to cal arts and um, one of the beautiful things about CalArts is that you could go there for music school like I did, but at the same time, you work on projects with animation department, theater, film, dance. So you were constantly working in these multidisciplinary projects. And so I got a chance to work with them while I was in school, made friends with them, stayed in contact. And at that time, Elder was doing commercials. And he was like, guys, I have access to this huge camera thing. I'm gonna, ha- I'm gonna have it this week. I'm gonna have it this weekend. So we gotta do it this weekend because that's when I'm gonna have this crazy camera. And like, ¿Cómo se llama? Help me out, guys. Jeep, the Jeep, a crane, 
Ukraine because we didn't have the drones yet, right? Um, and so um, it was all filmed with this crazy crane uh, while we were doing all the shots for the cheerleaders and the band at the schoolyard. Um, and uh, and we were like, okay, that's when it's going to have to happen. This is when it's going to happen. Okay. So we did. We did it. And so yeah. he brought in all of his like people from his, these commercial crews and just got him to do us the favor, you know, <clears throat> which was great. Yeah. This is an inside story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and also, Ariel, who produced the very first uh, demo for Van Nuys, went on to make little albums uh, <laughs> with uh, L and Empire Weekend and whatever. You know. I mean, nowhere to be found nowadays. Obviously, he learned a lot from working with us. You know, <laughs> yeah, before he got it hard. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
and I have to tell you, I know that you're, you know, like you're trying to be a bit humble on this, but how, do, what do you feel about the enduring legacy of this song? And for that matter, you know, Los Abandoned. I mean, it's, it's uh, honestly, it's just like, <clears throat> at, you know, first it's like uh, shocking and uh, unexpected and, um, at, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm really glad that, you know, all of that work sort of paid off. You know, all that, all that extra effort, all that vision, all that, all the blood, sweat and tears, you know, <clears throat> pays off in this other way. For whatever <laughs> reason it was, you know, the song is a, it's an amazing, well-written song that it will, it will, you know, hopefully it just keeps going and going and going and building that legacy. And whenever that goes, we will really happy to, uh, to back it up, you know, and backing it up is part of doing this this show on the 17th. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can continue, you know, continue this legacy. On that, please remind us about your reunion show and also your upcoming single. Este viernes, 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 17 de noviembre, en La Santa. Los Abandon presentan por una única, única vez el reunion concert. La Santa. November 17th. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. That is great. And the uh, study study we're going to be dropping uh, dropping our first single in uh, certainly a couple of years. And before that, quite a few more. We're going to be dropping our single, My Favorite Band, which, you know, as we discussed, you know, we, we wrote it originally in 2003. Uh, it took, a, took us a couple, couple minutes to polish it up, but we got it all ready for you guys now. And we're going to be dropping that on the 17th as well. It's coming out on on cassette records. Super cool. So, uh, well, I want to thank you um, for you know, the time, for all the, the such a great, funny. Also, uh, you know, I learned a lot com- in this conversation. And as a request, uh, please, let's have one more than one reunion show every decade, okay? <laughs> like, that this this doesn't have to happen, you know, like, in, you know, like, every 10 years, hopefully, you know, sooner, okay? <laughs> you do, like, five? <laughs> we'll show up to the next one in wheelchairs (laughs) (laughs) any last things any last things that you know we we should uh end up with yeah we want to make sure that people know that we're very active on social media and uh not only with the things that we're doing but also with a lot of memorabilia and you know just reconnecting with the fans so um, ha- if you know, have us, ha- you know, follow us on the socials. It's uh, everything is Los Abandoned. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook, and um, yeah, and then to, that way you stay connected to what we're doing. You'll know, yeah. Word. And it's just and again, just it's like such an honor for us to be yeah. here. And thank you for having us and and asking <laughs> us all these thoughtful questions. And I guess you get us, you get you wind us up, and you know we'll just keep talking. But but it really it means a lot, you know, to be like I can't say how much it means, you know, to be part of this discussion. Yeah. You know, so thank you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I, I we known each other for quite a second. And you know, from the from the from the beautiful stages of uh, the Roxy and the whiskey to the uh, and the Salon Corona, <laughs> the Salon Corona and, and and all those things, and you know, the managing of the bands and the productions of the shows and and all that stuff, and 
you know, I remember you told me once very, very interestingly said the reason why I'm doing this uh, history doctorate is because I want one of us to tell our story. Mm. So thank you for that. Yeah. We're all telling our own story. So. <laughs> <laughs> Gracias. No, thank you. And thank you all. For... Gracias. Gracias a ustedes, you know. <laughs> And please, all of us, let's keep telling our stories. Uh, so, yes. mil gracias por la conversación, Lady P, Don Verde, Viralata, and we'll see you on the seventh, uh, November 17th. See you then. In this episode, we heard several studio and also live versions of the Los Abandoned songs performed by themselves. Definitely check out their songs on any of the streaming platforms. And for the live versions of the songs that you heard on the background, check them out on YouTube. This has been the discursive power of Rock en Español. The brief intro and also the questions were written by me, o sea, Jorge Leal. This episode was engineered by Frank Princeton. Thank you, Frank. Remember to follow Rock Archivo LA on Instagram for more. Thanks for listening. Y hasta el próximo. <laughs>